بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه مباركا عليه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى جل جلاله وعم نواله والصلاة والسلام على سيد الحبيب المصطفى صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد وقال ربكم ادعوني أستجب لكم My dear respected friends, our dear respected elders and our respected younger folk the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam had two aspects when it came to his mission the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did da'wah da'wah means to invite he did da'wah which was to invite the people the word in arabic da'wah there's also another similar word to it which comes from the same root term which is dua Dua and da'wah, they both mean very, they come from a very similar root. In fact, the same root. Da'wah means to invite the people. And dua means to ask of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you want your da'wah to be successful, if you want your invitation to others to be successful, you need to ask the tawfiq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the dua has to be there. Mostly, we know about the da'wah, the invitation, and the propagation of the Prophet life. There are many seerah books that discuss that, and generally there's numerous talks that discuss how the Prophet conveyed the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We also know that the Prophet had many du'as. We also make du'a. But what we want to understand today is how were the du'as of the Prophet ﷺ. My hope, inshallah, my du'a, my prayer to Allah is that once we understand this, your du'a will not be the same again. Inshallah, then it will infuse our du'as with the life that they need so that they can be more powerful, inshallah. See, the Prophet ﷺ, in his du'as, what we understand is that from a literary perspective, if you look at it from a literary perspective, when you study literature, types of language and the way it's used, you have your horror, you have your romance, you have your dramas, you have your poetry, and you have the different genres of literature they call them. In Arabic, when it comes to du'as, we have a very specific genre. Dua in itself is a very, very special way of saying something. There's a special art to doing this. I'll give you an, give you an example. When I was growing up, in Urdu and in Gujarati, I'm not sure if it's the same in uh, Bengali, but when you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Urdu, you say, now, when you say tu, tu is considered to be actually, for a normal person, when you say tu, it's considered to be disrespectful. In Urdu, you use the word aap. It's more respectful. Now, in English, it's all the same. You, 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 tu, older or younger. 
But when it comes to Urdu, Gujarati and other languages, in Bangladeshi you have separate words as well. So now, I used to always wonder that why are we addressing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the word tu as opposed to be aap. Because you know, tu mujayyadede. It was only later that I discovered that this is a special category of expression. To make it so personal and so impersonal, no pretenses whatsoever, that in this particular position when you're making dua to Allah, you can say tu. You can't say it in any other situation, otherwise it will be disrespectful. But in that particular situation, because you're supposed to be so intimate and so close, you're allowed to say that. This is how language is. You're allowed to say certain things in a certain context, which would not be allowable in a different context. But in this context, it's most appropriate and it's the best way to do something. That's what you call eloquent. Now moving away from that, if you look at the du'as of the Prophet ﷺ, each one of them is a masterpiece. Each one of them is so profound because the Prophet ﷺ had a big task on his hand. At his time, in terms of a human connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there was a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of confusion. The Prophet ﷺ says, Dua is ibadah. He also says the dua is mukhul ibadah, is the essence of worship. When I first read that hadith, it was a bit difficult for me to understand what was meant. Because I saw dua as a selfish expression of want. You are requesting Allah, oh Allah, give me this, oh Allah, make me like this, oh Allah, give me this job, oh Allah, give me this, give me that, right? You're asking for something for yourself. What I saw ibadat as, which it is, is devotion, like you're doing salat. You're doing some dhikr. There's, no, there's not nothing selfish about that. You're just showing and expressing a devotion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what you call ibadat. So how is dua which I saw as a selfish uh, plea for things that I wanted, an ibadat. But this is what it is. When we do dua properly, if we understand what a dua should be like and what it should contain, then we will understand that it is it is one of the greatest forms of worship. And how is that? When we have lost all else, when we cannot go to anyone else, and we then show our humility to express something for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we are actually expressing our abdiyah, our servitude. I am your slave, I am in need and my hands are outstretched to you because it's only you that can assist me and help me in this regard. That is what dua is supposed to be, an expression of my humility to the creator and sustainer and provider of everything. That position is a very intense position of abdiya. That's why dua is essentially worship, if it's done in the right way. Now, in jahiliya times, Allah was there. Allah has always been there. In fact, He was believed in by the people. They believed in the highest being. However, they did not think they could access Allah directly. That's why they had all of these idols. It's just like in your local, you know, locally, you can't get through to the prime minister. You have to go through your local MP or whatever the case is. It's very difficult to get to the big shots up there. Now they applied this to Allah, little understanding 
that Allah, despite His greatness, is closer to everybody than their jugular vein. And He hears everything. So this was the misunderstanding. Number two, if you then look towards Greece, which was a much older tradition, the Hellenistic philosophical tradition from the Platonic Aristotelian Aristotelian philosophy, they believed in a supreme being. They believed in God, but he was called the unmoved mover or the first cause. The problem is that between what their concept of God was as such, and between humanity and the world, they had all of these intermediaries in between. They had ten. They called them ukul, the intellects. And the last one that dealt with the affairs of the world was called the active intellect. Which meant that again, you couldn't get directly to Allah. You could not get directly to their first cause. There was always intermediaries in between. The Prophet's task was to teach people a number of things is that you can access Allah directly. So look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does it in the Quran. In Surah Al-Zumr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذَا ذُكِرَ اللَّهُ وَحْدَهُ إِشْمَأَزَّتْ قُلُوبُ الَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْآخِرَةِ وَإِذَا ذُكِرَ, وإذا ذكر الَّذِينَ مِن دُونِهِ إِذَا هُمْ يَسْتَبْشِرُونَ When Allah alone is mentioned, the people who do not believe in the hereafter, their face undergoes change. They don't like it. You know when you hear something you're not excited about, how does your face become? That's what their situation was. However, when those besides Allah were mentioned that they used to believe in, that you know the idols and so on, they used to get excited. Because they felt that something was going to come from them and not from Allah because Allah was too beyond. That's why then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, another stage, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّاعِي إِذَا دَعَانِ فَلْيَسْتَجِيبُوا لِي وَلْيُؤْمِنُوا بِي لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْشُدُونَ When my servants ask about me, then let them know that I am close. In fact, it doesn't even say let them know. It just says I am close. That's the powerful expression of the Quran. When the, my servants ask about me, I am close. Then I am close. I respond to those who call upon me, when they call upon me. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to take people's attention away from all of these other fake intermediaries, said, وَلَا تَدْعُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مَا لَا يَنْفَعُكَ وَلَا يَضُرُّكَ Don't call on to all of these other things beside Allah, these other deities that you have taken besides Allah, who cannot benefit you and who cannot harm you. This was something deep down they understood that they can't harm us and benefit us. The problem was narrative. Now what does that mean? The problem was narrative. When you buy into a narrative, then you become blinded and fully convinced with that narrative. Then you interpret everything accordingly. I'll give you a few examples. In a program, I met somebody. It was an interfaith program and I met somebody. It was a Muslim woman. And she said to me that you look like my brother. Meaning, I look like her brother. Don't you know my brother? He's a mufti. I thought, she's, she was Shia background. 
So I thought, I don't know any Shia muftis, why would I know her brother? And she was quite convinced that you, know my, you should know my brother. He is a mufti. I said, look, I don't know your brother, right? And I didn't think much of it, I ignored it. A day or two later, she asked me again, she says, you should know my brother, he is, he is a mufti and he graduated in Darlum Karachi. That woke me up. I said, hold on, hold on. You don't get Shias graduating from Darlum Karachi. It's a whole different tradition. So what's going on here? So tell me about it. What, what are you talking about? So apparently, she's Shia. She'd become Shia. And her brother was a mufti of a particular city. I won't mention its name. And I've been to that city. And I know her, then I discovered that I know her other brother who's in Tabligh. Because I did Taraweeh in that area many, many years ago. Wow. So I asked her the story. I said, what happened? I said, well, she had a friend at university who was Shia and who told her a number of things. One of the gripes and the complaints was that, you see, the Prophet ﷺ had a piece of land, had some land that he would take expenses from for his family and so on, and he would give sadaqah, etc. After the Prophet ﷺ departed this world, Fatima radiallahu anha, came to Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an. Now there's a famous hadith, which is that from the Prophet sallallahu that we, group of prophets, we, congregation of prophets, do not leave behind inheritance. That which we leave behind is knowledge. And that's for the whole ummah. And you can take as much of that inheritance as you want. It's open to all. In terms of substance, we don't leave any inheritance. It's a well-known hadith. Right? When Fatima radiallahu she didn't know about this it seems. She came and she asked for the land. D- discussing with Abu Bakr radiallahu And Abu Bakr radiallahu explained the hadith to her. Right? And then she went away. Now the narrative here is, this was an injustice. This was an injustice against the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and it get people, evoke people into anger and sadness. And they build a whole thing against this. Umar did the same thing afterwards. Thus, Abu Bakr and Umar, they were against. Radiallahu anhu, they were against the Prophet ﷺ and his family. This is a, I said, this is a narrative you've brought into. Why don't you look at it a different way? That this was what the Prophet ﷺ had said. This was a well-known narration. And this is what it was. It just depends on what you buy into. And once you buy into something, you become blinded. I'll give you another example. One of the biggest examples of this is shaitan. Shaitan sees himself made from fire. He's worshipped Allah all throughout. He's been a big devotee. He's been worshipping Allah. But then when Adam salam is created from soil, his logic works like this. Fire rises, whereas soil is lowly. Why should I prostrate in front of him? That's one narrative. That's one way of looking at something. Another way of looking at it would have been so many other ways. That God created both of us. God wants me to prostrate. And humility and submission is the greatest thing. I should do that. That's another narrative. Another narrative is, another, you can say, purely scientific narrative, is, okay, fire leaves ashes in its wake. Fire destroys Fire wreaks havoc. Soil doesn't do that. Soil grows, gives birth to things. So couldn't you have looked at it that way? Wasn't there a different way of looking at it? 
There's a person that I know who's from a Pakistani background. His daughter got married against the parents' wishes to a Bangladeshi brother 10 years ago. They've got three children now. They all understand it was a mistake. Right? They all understand it was a mistake. Right? Mistake in the sense that it's made so many people unhappy. It's not a mistake religiously speaking, but culturally speaking, it was a mistake in their because this father now does not speak want to speak to his daughter even after ten years. Even after three children, he doesn't want to see the children. And what kind of a human is this? What narrative has he bought into? His narrative is that this goes against my culture. Because my daughter should have got married to my, my nephew. She didn't do that. Okay, fine. What they did was wrong, I agree. Right? Not religiously wrong as such, but you have to listen to your parents. You have to try to make everybody happy. And that's understandable. But come on, haven't you got a heart? Don't you want to be forgiven as well by Allah? Don't you make mistakes? Is your culture more important than your daughter and your blood? Your culture's narrative is more valuable to you than your blood relative? Like what's your problem? Okay, you can be upset with them for six months. Maybe for one year. Maybe for three years. But for ten years after having children? This is what Allah wanted now. Khalas, finish. You've had your patience. Allah will give you for your patience. This is the problem with narrative. This is the problem with narrative. When you got the wrong narrative, you will become blinded by it. And this is what happens with atheists. They take on the wrong narrative even if their heart calls out to God at moments, at sensitive moments. But intellectually they're unable to surmount that intellectual challenge of their mind. And thus they continue to deny. And yet their heart calls out. And this is the problem with narratives. Now think about it. Why did shaitan not think about the other narrative? It's all tawfiq. It's all related to divine guidance and divine enablement. We have to just be so satisfied and thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He's given us, inshaAllah, the right narrative. Otherwise, what difference, what, what, how easy it would have been for us to have had another narrative? Where else does it come from except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Somebody in our family has made dua. That's why it mentions that if people respect their knowledge, respect the books of them, respect the masjid, respect the ulama, then even if Allah doesn't give them knowledge, He will put it into their children and into their progeny. These are ways of deriving the tawfiq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Otherwise, our iman is open. Our iman is open to, it's vulnerable. May Allah be thanked for the narrative that He's given us. Otherwise, so many other narratives exist. Moving back to our topic. The Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was now diffusing this whole confusion, unraveling it. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقَالَ رَبُّكُمُ ادْعُونِي أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ Your Lord says, call on me and I will answer you. He's giving a command now. After he's unraveling everything, he's commanding. Then he says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ عَنْ عِبَادَتِي سَيَدْخُلُونَ جَهَنَّمَ دَاخِرِينَ Those people who think they're too big to be obedient to me, to uh, devote themselves to me, then 
they are, we're going to enter them into the hellfire. So this is now a warning. The Prophet says in a hadith, Man lam Whoever doesn't ask Allah, Allah gets angry on him. Now he's making it very clear that you need to ask Allah. That's very important. Now let us look at the du'as of the Prophet. Let's learn how to make du'a. You know the problem is that our du'as today are a list of dictations. We finish salat or whenever we're going to make du'a, I said, Oh Allah, accept my du'as. Oh Allah, give me my job, that job I'm looking for. Allah, make it easy for me. Oh Allah, my, I need to get my daughter married. Find the right person for me. There's that person we're interested in. Oh Allah, turn his heart towards this. He's the right person. Oh Allah, I need that phone, that car I need. I need that raise in my job. I need... We're just basically a whole list of things as though Allah is there waiting with a list, a pen. Okay, fine. Yes, 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 yes. And I'll do this for you. Essentially, this is, this is the way our du'as are. We think it's a little... And then when it doesn't get accepted, we get upset. How come he didn't do it? Like he's our slave or something? He's our servant? He didn't do the job today for me? I've told him ten times. I've made du'a ten times and it hasn't been accepted. Wait. Allah has the whole nizam of the world to look after. We're just a small element within this whole quantum world of interconnected beings. We want this, this, that and the other. Does it fit into Allah's grand plan and decree of the entire world? Because whatever He gives us is going to have a possible impact on something else. Is it the right thing for us? Is it harmful for us? Is it good for us? That's why du'as are always accepted, meaning the act of du'a is always going to be accepted. We're going to get something for it. Either what we ask for, now or later, or if it's inappropriate for us right now, we won't get it, but we'll be given something else or a removal of a calamity. Otherwise, we'll be given, it to, given in the hereafter, which would be the most valuable option, though that's not what we generally want, because we want it now. So there's always benefit in doing du'a. But we have to understand that it has to fit into Allah's grand plan. And maybe this job that I'm looking for is bad for that grand plan and is bad for me. I may become more arrogant if I start making that higher salary right now when I'm too young. Right? There could be so many different reasons. So now when you look at the Prophet's du'a, look at, understand where it's coming from. We have Allah the Creator, who is the giver of everything. He is the one who you're going to call upon. The one calling upon him and supplicating is the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He is a prophet. He is a Rasul. He is the most beloved of all of humanity, all of creation to Allah subhanahu wa taala. He also knows Allah more than anybody else. He knows what invokes Allah's mercy. He knows what gets Allah to give. He knows how to convince Allah. And he has the greatest level of servitude. Can you think about any other person whose dua and communication with Allah could be any more better than that? He's got it all made. On top of that, the Prophet ﷺ was the most eloquent being. His Arabic was the most profound most effective, most eloquent. You couldn't have anything. That's why when you look at the du'as of the Prophet ﷺ, every single one of them, you can't fault them for their splendor, for their language, 
for their effectiveness, for their brevity. Every dua of the Prophet ﷺ, in fact every word of the Prophet ﷺ, but especially his duas, they are comprehensive, they are effective, they are profound in their meaning. They are a miracle on their own if you look at it. In themselves, the Prophet ﷺ was extremely fluent in his duas. He's very forceful, he is vivid, he is moving, he is expressive. All of these characteristics, it's highly appropriate, highly articulate. He is, his language is smooth and facile. His speech, it's deeply moving and evocative. This is what characterizes the words and the expressions of the Prophet ﷺ. The reason is that every dua of the Prophet ﷺ is coming. It's filled with, it encompasses the light of prophecy as a prophet. It has the conviction and determination of a messenger. And that the highest messenger. And along with all of that, it has the appropriate and effective expression of the perfect abd and servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You cannot have that combination in anybody else. One who is a prophet, a messenger, an abd par excellence. That's why his du'as are going to be the greatest. And I will show you a few of these du'as today. The du'as of the Prophet ﷺ are of two types in general. You've got the very specific du'as before eating, Bismillah wa barakatillah, after eating, before sleeping, before wudu, etc. These are specific occasioned du'as for that particular situation. Then you've got the comprehensive du'as. The du'as which ask for general things. If you look at any one of these general du'as, the majority of them are such that if just that one dua was to be accepted for us, our dunya and akhirah is sorted. They are so short, but they encompass the prosperity of this world and the hereafter. They contain within it the success of both worlds. Every single one of them, and I'll show you some of them. But then we need to look at the way the Prophet ﷺ made dua. And that's what we need to learn. Then we will see that our duas will be accepted. We have to set the scene. So the Prophet's dua, from the perspective that they are spiritual manifestations, at the same time they're perfect from a literary perspective. You can't fault them. Clear and lucid, flowing and complete, free of any pretenses, goes directly to the point, uses the right words to invoke the right name of Allah at the right time. You can tell that it's somebody who's got great pain for the ummah when, when you listen to his du'as. A great zeal, a high level of ma'rifah, knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then profoundly eloquent, you can just imagine what that speech is going to be like. Let us start with one du'a. And it is quite unfortunate for those of us who don't understand Arabic directly. Because you can't appreciate the language that's used. I will translate it. I'll try to do the best job that I can. But if you understood it directly through the Arabic, it would just, subhanAllah, it will have your hair standing on end. That's how beautiful these du'a. Let's just start with the du'a of Ta'if. Now, to understand the context, because every speech that you say, that you do, that you utter, comes at a in a particular situation. There are reasons why you say that that create the reason to say those words. The Prophet ﷺ has become weary of the people of Makkah. 
they've persecu- been persecuted. So he goes to Ta'if, which was the second most influential city. There are three tribes, there are three leaders, or three leaders down there, to try to speak to them if he could get support for them, from them, alhamdulillah, it would help the cause. However, when he goes there, unfortunately, it's not successful. At the end, as he's leaving the city, there are children who are sent behind him to throw stones at him. And thus, he is blooded. He's just done his best. He went out of his way to go there. He's come back and he feels the failure, the dejection and the rejection. What is his dua going to be like at that time? What, your, what would your and my dua would be at that time? Oh Allah, I've done my best. What else can I do? Right? They don't get it. <coughs> this is the dua of the Prophet ﷺ. He says, Allahumma inni ashku da'fa quwwati wa qillata heelati wa hawani ala nas He starts off, he says, Allah, unto you do I complain of the weakness of my strength. That's how he starts. The weakness of my strength. The paucity of my strategies. I didn't have a strategy. And my lowliness before men. I'm humiliated in their sight. Hawani ala nas. That's how he starts. Then he says, Anta arhamur rahimin. You are the most merciful of the merciful ones. Anta rabbul mustad'afeen. Look at the words he's using. The names of Allah that he's calling Allah with. Not just, oh Allah, oh Allah. I mean, Allah is a very powerful name, but he has 99 and more names for a reason. Anta arhamur rahimin. You're the most merciful of the... I want your mercy. This is a place of mercy. You can tell he's using the right characteristic. Anta rabbul mustad'afeen. You are the Lord of those who are considered weak. Those that people deal with and consider them to be weak, you're the Lord of those. وَأَنْتَ Rabbi, And you're also my Lord. I have no other Lord. You're my Lord. Now are these things, aren't these things all obvious anyway? But this is what the Prophet said. He's building the story. He is setting the scene for his dua. إِلَى مَنْ تَكِلُنِي who are, you going to cons- who are you going to consign me to? Who are you going to give, give control over me? إِلَى مَنْ تَكِلْنِي إِلَى بَعِيدٍ يَتَجَهَّمُنِي To some distant person, to some distant person who, or some stranger who's going to ill-treat me? Meaning, are you going to punish me like this? أَمْ إِلَى عَدُوٍ مَلَّكْتَهُ أَمْرِي Or are you going to give me over to an enemy who you're going to give control over me. And then he says, إِن لَمْ يَكُنْ بِكَ غَضَبٌ عَلَيَّ فَلَا أُبَالِي If you do that, but you are not angry with me, then I don't care. What servitude? That's a servant. Not somebody who's going to complain, you don't accept my dua. If you do all of these things, as long as you're happy and not angry with me, I am fine with that. Except that your well-being and giving me well-being is going to be the broader path for me. That's what I would rather have than that. But it's up to you. Then he makes his dua. I ask you, by the light of your countenance, through which all darkness is 
eliminated. And all the affairs of the world and the hereafter are set aright. What do I ask you for through that? Min That your anger descend upon me. Or your wrath comes over me. For you is the right to reproach until you are satisfied. You have the right to continue to tell me off and reproach me or punish me as you want until you are satisfied. And there is no power to do good or ability to refrain from evil except through you. That's what you call the dua of a prophet. Now moving on, let's look at the dua of Arafat. Now dua of Arafat, this is, subhanallah, in Ramadan the shayateen are locked up. We feel the benefit. In Hajj, on the day of Arafah, Dhuhr to Maghrib, the shayateen is not locked up. But the amount of mercy that's descending is so much that shaitan gets totally perplexed and becomes despondent that today I can't affect anybody here today. That's the time. It's a time when every moment of it is so valuable and so precious that it can take the worst of sinners and make them into the greatest awliya of Allah if they do the right thing at that time. That's how powerful that time is. What would the Prophet's dua be on that day? Think about it. This is his dua. Now ponder over these words. He starts, he says, Allahumma innaka tasma'u kalami wa tara makani wa ta'lamu sirri wa ala niyati. Does he ask anything yet? No. He's just setting the scene. Oh Allah, you are listening to me. You can hear what I say. You can see my state. You're seeing my state right now. And you know everything about me both the hidden and the apparent. لا يخفى عليك شيء من أمري. Nothing of my affair is hidden and concealed upon you. Nothing. He doesn't still start asking. وأنا البائس الفقير. And I am the afflicted and the poor one. I am the poor and afflicted one. المستغيث المستجير. The one who is calling for your Sakur and for your refuge. Al-Wajid al-Mushfiq. The, the trembling one in great pain. Al-Muqir al-Mu'tarif bi-Dhambi. The one who is self-confessing of my sin. You don't have to establish any proof against me. I am confessing my sin already. I am, this is my state. Again, he doesn't start asking. Then he says, As'aluk, I ask you. Mas'alat al-miskeen. I ask you like the asking of a destitute one. Have you seen how destitute people ask? They make a certain face. They use certain words to evoke your emotion. Right? They're quite professional at it. Because they need to try to evoke your mercy and your emotion by the way they, they screw up their face and so on. Right? But I ask you like the destitute asks, وَأَبْتَهِلُ إِلَيْكَ إِبْتِهَالَ الْمُذْنِبِ الذليل. And I pray to you humbly, I call upon you humbly, like the calling of the humiliated sinner. The sinner who's lost, he's been humiliated, what can his dua be like? 
totally broken. And now he's only got Allah because everybody else knows. Al-Khaif al-Darir. The one who is severely affected. وَالدُّعَاءَ مَنْ خَضَعَتْ لَكَ رَقَبَتُهُ وَفَاضَتْ لَكَ عَبَرَتُهُ وَذَلَّ لَكَ جِسْمُهُ وَرَغِمَ لَكَ أَنفُهُ And also I am making dua to you, the dua of the one whose, whose neck is submitted in front of you, is humbled in front of you, whose tears are flowing for you, whose whole body has succumbed to you and whose nose is rubbing the ground for you. Now he starts his dua. In fact, Allahumma la taj'alni bi du'aika shaqiyya. Oh Allah, do not make me a failed one in terms of my du'as. Don't make me deprived in my du'as. Wa kunni ra'ufan rahima. And make me of those and no, and be most merciful and forgiving for me. Ya khayral mas'uleen wa ya khayral mu'teen. Oh, the best of those who can be asked and the best of those who give. Now you think, you make that dua, you think it's not going to be uh, answered? You think Allah won't give when you're saying, Oh Allah, you're the best of those who can be asked and the best of those who can give. Do we know how to make dua? Have we ever made a proper dua? Insha'Allah, after today, your du'as will never be the same. This is how you make a du'a. You set the scene, you use the right words. For example, if you've got a difficulty, there is something that's just not opening up for you. You use the, the name, Ya Fattah. Oh, opener. You've got a complicated issue. Something very subtle. Ya Latif. Ya Ghafoor, Ya Ghaffar, Ya Ghafir. Ghafir, Ghaffar, Ghafoor. Three words. All from the same meaning, forgiver. But ghafir means the forgiver in general. Ghafar means the one who abundantly forgives, even the greatest of sins. And ghafur, the one who forgives over and over and over again. Different names, but similar meaning. To just show you what Allah is. One name would never have sufficed. Allah is too comprehensive an entity for one name to have sufficed. Though Allah does suffice everything, the name Allah. The next dua is this one. Allahumma inni abduk. Oh Allah, I am your servant. That's how he starts. Now, isn't that obvious? Doesn't Allah know that? I am your servant. He starts like this. Oh Allah, I am your servant. I am your slave. Then he says, Wabnu abdik, wabnu amatik. I am also the the son, the offspring of your male servant and of your female servant. So even my parents are your slaves. I got nothing going for me. I'm your slave, my parents are your slave as well. Then he carries on, he says, Nasiyati biyadik. My forelock is in your hand. When you got somebody's forelock, you're in their control. You're, you're, you have control over them. Ma'din fiya hukmuk. It is only your commands which afflict me. They, they all apply to me. Now all of your commands apply to me and I don't complain. So he says, Adlun Every decree and judgment of yours is completely just. He's just showing 
what Allah is and who Allah is. Allah loves to be praised. Now he says, he says, As'aluka, I ask you. Again, he doesn't ask yet. He's just starting off. He's saying, I ask you, بِكُلِّ إِسْمٍ هُوَ لَكْ I ask you with every name that you have. سَمَّيْتَ بِهِ نَفْسَكْ That you've given yourself. Every name, you, because these are the various names. I just talked about the names. I ask you by every name of yours that you have given to yourself. أَوْ أَنزَلْتَهُ فِي كِتَابِكْ That you have revealed or you have revealed in the book. There are a number of names mentioned in the, in the Qur'an that are not part of the 99 names, for example. The 99 names are just a package. They're not the only names of Allah. And this hadith explains this, dua explains it. Or that you've revealed in your book. Or you've taught to somebody very specific from the creation. You've only taught to somebody. Or you have kept it, withheld it to yourself in the knowledge that only you possess. And no, you've not revealed it to anybody. Who would even know that? Only a prophet. Only a prophet could even think about something like this, that no, Allah has other names that He's not revealed to anybody. I'm going to ask Him by those names. Now once he said that, then he says, then he asks the dua. أَن تَجْعَلَ الْقُرْآنَ نُورَ صَدْرِ That you make the Qur'an, I ask you by all of these names, that you make the Qur'an the light of my heart, the light of my chest. وَرَبِيعَ قَلْبِ The spring of my heart. Jala'a huzni, removal of my cares, wa hammi, and the elimination of all of my problems. You think your dua is not going to be accepted? You think the Quran will then not be all of these things if we make this dua with that understanding? That all of our reading of the Quran, listening to the Quran, this is the benefit we get from if we made this dua. There are so many duas like this, um, we don't have too much time. I'll just mention a few more. But if you get Al-Hizbul A'zam, for example, a copy of Al-Hizbul A'zam or any other comprehensive du'a book like that, prophetic du'as, you will see every single one of them, those du'as are so powerful. And if you complete the reading of the book, whether it takes you seven days or a month, you would have asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for everything that is beneficial for us to ask Him and necessary for us to ask Him, even if we didn't think about it. We don't know what we else we need from Allah, but we would have asked Him for it. لا إله إلا الله الحليم الكريم That's how he starts. There is no God except Allah, the most forbearing and the most benevolent. The one who's got the greatest patience and the one who gives the most, most generous. So you, you can see where he's going with this. Subhanallahi Rabbil Arshil Azim. Glorified is Allah, the Lord of the mighty throne. Under his control, if he's got the throne, he's got everything. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And all praise is to the Lord of the worlds. He's the Lord of the worlds. You've set the scene. Now he says, As'aluka. I ask you. Mujibati rahmatik. Wa azaima maghfiratik. Wal ghanimata min kulli bir. Wa salamata min kulli ithm. He says, I ask you for that which evokes your mercy. For deeds which bring about your forgiveness. For the benefit of complete piety and for safety from all mistakes and sins and errors. Then he says, لا تدع لي ذنبا إلا غفرته ولا هما إلا فرجته ولا حاجة هي لك رضا إلا قضيتها يا أرحم الراحمين. Do not leave me with any sin unforgiven. Any 
worry not removed by you. Any need that is pleasing to you without fulfilling it. Meaning every need that I have that is, fulfill, that, that is uh, pleasing to you, fulfill it. O most merciful of those who show mercy. Just if that one dua gets accepted of ours, then basically every sin of us, ours is forgiven. Every concern we have is taken care of. And every need that we have that is satisfactory to Allah, we will get it. Now, what a deal. Just that one dua. But there's a way to ask it. Now look at this one. To show you the comprehensiveness. These are the other comprehensive duas. Allahumma aslih li dini alladhi huwa ismatu amri. O oh Allah, reform for me my religion, which is the protection of my affairs. Without religion, I'm not, I'm not going to have the right narrative. I'm going to have the wrong approach. So reform my religion for me. Keep me on the right path. Then, وَأَصْلِحْ لِي دُنْيَايَ الَّتِي فِيهَا مَعَاشِي Reform for me my dunya, in which is my living and my sustenance. And then, وَأَصْلِحْ لِي آخِرَةِيَ الَّتِي فِيهَا مَعَادِي And reform for me my akhirah, where I will return to. And then, وَجْعَلِ الْحَيَاةَ زِيَادَةً لِي فِي كُلِّ خَيْرٍ Make the life for me an increase for all types of good. And make death for me a source of respite from all evil. Again, one dua gets accepted, our dunya and akhirah is made. Because we are making dua for the reforming of our deen, for the reform of our dunya, and for the reform of our hereafter. What else is left? That's it. Single du'a, all of it taken care of. There are so many du'as like this. So many du'as like this. In the interest of time, let me just mention one. Allahumma ja'al khayra umri akhirahu. Listen to the meaning. Oh Allah, make the best part of my life, the final part of my life. The whole life can be good and wonderful. We're not saying make the rest bad. Make the whole thing good, but make the best, because best is superlative. Best part of my life, the final part of my life, which means the other part should be good. So that's the dunya sorted, the life sorted. Make the best of my deeds, the final deeds, that I will finally die upon doing. Because if a person becomes demented or something in the, uh, towards the end, I mean, it could be worse. So he's saying, no, make the last deeds my best deeds. So that I don't start doing bad things after having good. Like it's happened to certain people. Allah protect us. Then he says, وَجْعَلْ خَيْرَ أَيَّامِ Now what's left? He's saying, oh Allah, and make the best of my days. Which day? You've already asked for the best part of life, the final part. Best deed, the final deeds. Which day is going to be the rest now? What do you expect the Prophet ﷺ to be asking for? Close. وَجْعَلْ خَيْرَ أَيَّامِ يَوْمَ أَلْقَاكَ The day that I meet you. Now what else do you need after that dua? Your dunya is sorted. This life is sorted. Your deeds are sorted. And the best thing is that on the day when we stand in front of Allah, that's the best day of our existence. 
just that one dua get accepted. It's a short three phases, phrases. Khalas, that's it. Look at this. How can you combine this? If you want respect, but you don't want to be arrogant, you want to be productive, but you don't want to be proud. How do you reconcile those two things? And hence you've got a dua which everybody should be making. Allahumma ja'alni fi aini sagheera. Waj'al wa fi a'yunin nasi kabira. There's various different versions of this, but this one is Allahumma ja'alni fi aini sagheera wa fi a'yunin nasi kabira. Oh Allah, make me small and inferior in my sight, but make me great in the sight of others. So you enjoy the respect of people, but you don't think yourself much. Because when somebody starts respecting you, you start getting arrogant and bloating. This just did. How, who's going to come up with something like What psychologist can think of this? It has to be a spiritual psychologist. It can't be just a normal psychologist. It has to be somebody with a heart, somebody with profound understanding. These are the power of these du'as. Allahumma ja'al awsa'a rizkika inda kibari sinni wanqita'i umri. Oh Allah, give me the greatest expansion of your sustenance in my old age. And when my life is about to end. So I can give sadaqah. At that time you become debilitated, you can't do much. But you want, these are the du'as, that, would you ever think about these things? These are the du'as of the Prophet ﷺ. You read a comprehensive du'a manual and you'll get all of these things. Okay, let's do one final one. Allahumma ja'al sarirati khayran min alaniyati. Waj'al alaniyati salih. Oh Allah, make my internal superior to my external. Make my inside better than my outside. Meaning my heart, my thoughts, my feelings, my sentiments. Make them better than I show myself outside. But make my outside righteous and pious. Again, who combines between these two? Who can speak about these things? Only the Prophet ﷺ. May Allah shower His abundant blessings upon him. May Allah shower His abundant blessings and peace and mercy upon him. As I said, inshallah, from today, and there are so many more du'as, in the interest of time, we don't have time to go through. But our du'a should never be the same again. Build the scene. Build the relationship. Set the tone. Ask with the right words. For example, one of the alim says, if you use two names of Allah throughout your day, you will start seeing the benefits and the mercy of Allah. Ya dhal jalali wal ikram. O one of majesty. And O one of benevolence and generosity. You're saying to Allah, you have everything, you control everything. You're the one of majesty. And you're the benevolent and generous one. Then you ask for Allah, you think He's not going to give you. You just told Him, you're the one who gives. That's why when you go to Allah, oh, you know, you've got this, you get, then, you know, you're known to give. That just gets it going. But with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He wants us to do this because that shows our, expresses our servitude. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the light of the prophetic du'as and allow us to bring that in uh, part of our life and allow us to be the servant and build that relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make Allah make us of the mustajabu da'wat. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. We'll make a short du'a. Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakti adhan jalali wa ikram. Allahumma ya hayyu ya qayyum bi rahmatika nastaghith. Allahumma ya hannanu ya mannan la ilaha illa ant. Subhanaka inna kunna minal zalimeen. 
اللهم اغفر لنا وارحمنا وعافنا واهدنا وارزقنا اللهم اهدنا واهد بنا واجعلنا هداة لمن اهتدى Oh Allah, we ask you for your mercy. Oh Allah, all mercy comes from you and from no one else. This is the month of Ramadan in which you've done so many merciful gestures. You've opened the doors of paradise. You've closed the doors of hellfire. And oh Allah, you've locked up the shaitan. Oh Allah, you want mercy to come down upon the people. This is the month of your mercy. Oh Allah, you chose this month to reveal your Quran. Oh Allah, this is the month in which there is a night that is worth more than a thousand months. Oh Allah, you are providing every excuse to try to forgive us. Oh Allah, forgive us. Oh Allah, allow us to be of those who will be written as emancipated in the nights of Ramadan. Oh Allah, make this Ramadan better than any Ramadan before it. Oh Allah, make the remaining days of this Ramadan better than the ones that have already passed. Oh Allah, allow us to take the greatest advantage of this month. Allow us to be infused with this storm of mercy and be drenched in this forgiveness. O oh Allah, forgive us. O oh Allah, fill our hearts with your light. O oh Allah, purify our hearts. O oh Allah, grant us your love and the love of those who love you. O oh Allah, make us of those who constantly remember you. O oh Allah, we have committed many, many sins. O oh Allah, sins in the openness of day, the darknesses of the night, sins we remember, thing, sins we have forgotten, thing, sins that we still even think about and gain some pleasure from. Oh Allah, what a great enormity this is. Oh Allah, we ask you for forgiveness from all of those sins. And oh Allah, especially from sins that have now become part and parcel of our life, to such a degree that no longer do we even consider them sins anymore. Oh Allah, give us discernment and understanding. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask you for your mercy, for there is no mercy besides your mercy. Oh Allah, bless the Muslim Ummah. Have mercy on the entire Muslim Ummah during this month of Ramadan and after. Allow us to continue with what we are doing in this Ramadan for after Ramadan as well. Oh Allah, don't make it just another Ramadan that we did not benefit from. Oh Allah, make us of those who have been accepted. Oh Allah, we ask you finally to send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and to grant us his company in the hereafter. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun al-mursaleen walhamdulillahi rabbil